please be seated. Well, it's awesome to be here this morning and worship together as God's family. It is great to see so many visitors with us, so many folks back. I don't know why y'all have to move, move off, you know. You don't have to have jobs. You can just live with your parents forever. Not you people. Uh, Other people can. But it is good to see so many here at the holiday time, and we are grateful to have you here. It is the holiday season. Uh, It is a time of the year, and I... Uh, a couple weeks ago, I reprinted one of Norman's uh, thoughts on Christmas. And uh, he talked about how that his parents or grandparents, I guess it was his grandparents, always said they couldn't wait till the Christmas season was over. And he talked about how he never understood that. Uh, and I'm, I'm kind of like that. I like the holiday season. I like the sights. I like the sounds. I like the music, I like the decorations, if I'm not having to put them up, and I especially like the food, you know, uh, all the candies that nobody makes at any other time of the year, I don't understand that, you know, uh, candy's good any time of the year, but, you know, uh, and so it's good to have family home and see folks, and it's certainly good to, to see all y'all this morning, you know, and, and this comes as no surprise to you, but but we really do not know when Jesus was born. It may have been in December. It may have been in March. It may have been any of the other 10 months out of the year as far as we, we really know. But the fact is that Jesus was born. And that's the most important thing. And there is a sense in which over 2,000 years ago, that it was the most remarkable birth that ever occurred. You know, there is a sense in which every birth is a miracle, isn't it? And there are some of you out here for whom the birth of your child was beyond just the normal miracle complications or things that went on. I'm thinking today especially about little, I say little Will, but Will Pendergrass, Norman and Janice's grandson, who is not even supposed to be born. And so just the fact that he was born was a miracle even beyond the normal miracle of birth. But there was something even greater about that birth over 2,000 years ago. It was a miracle of miracles. And the angel said to the shepherds today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. And there is so much more about the birth of Jesus and everything that transpired that I would like to know. And you think about for the awesomeness of that moment, we really don't have a large record of really what occurred at that time. Matthew kind of tells the story through the eyes of Joseph and the Magi from the East, and we know those stories. Luke tells the story more through the eyes of Mary and the shepherds. That first song that we sang, Magnificent, 
It is essentially the words of Mary as she meets Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist. And she praises these words to God, her father and savior. And that's where that song comes from. Mark tells the story through the eyes of the disciples. And so it begins at Jesus' ministry. Because the disciples at the time of Jesus' birth were unaware that anything was going on. And so Mark just picks up with the beginning of Jesus' ministry and the calling of the first disciples. John's gospel is different. His account of Jesus' birth is obscured, sort of. It's hidden in his prologue, his introduction to his gospel. And he tells the story through the eyes of heaven. John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God, and his name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light. So that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, the story is not just about a birth. The story is about a plan. The story is about a plan with a purpose. Matthew, Mark, and Luke were more about giving the facts. They were, they were writing at a time right after, very soon after Jesus had lived on earth. And they wanted to write about the facts. And, and while the historical facts were still there where people could check up and talk to people, they wanted to give those facts to prove that Jesus Christ lived and was on earth. John comes along much later. And he seems to be more concerned or less concerned about the facts and more concerned about the story. He was more, in a sense, of an evangelist. Now, I don't mean that Matthew, Mark, and Luke weren't evangelists. But his gospel was more evangelistic than it was historical. Whereas Matthew, Mark, and Luke wanted to get the history out there. It was a different time and it was a different purpose. And as Matthew and Luke go further back than Mark did. Remember we said Mark started with the beginning of Jesus' ministry. 
Matthew and Luke begin with the birth of Jesus. John goes back even farther to the very beginning. So what do we learn from John's account of Jesus' birth today? First of all, we see the Christ's deity. John begins at the beginning. It is absolutely no accident that John begins his gospel with the same three words that begin the whole biblical account. In the beginning. John was trying to make a point. He wasn't trying to kind of, you know, go backdoor it or something like that. He knew that his readers would recognize from the very start that what he was saying goes all the way back to the very beginning. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John comes along and says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. You see, Christianity lives or dies by the simple fact of who Jesus was. Other religions are based primarily on the teachings of their founders or their leaders. Who Buddha was was not nearly as important as his teachings. Same is true for Confucius or even Muhammad. And while Jesus' teachings are important, I'm not minimalizing his teachings, they are meaningless without the foundation of Jesus Christ being the very Son of God himself. Jesus' teachings are good. Jesus' teachings are moral. Jesus' teachings make sense. If everybody, whether they believed in Jesus Christ or not, whether they believed in God or not, if everybody would follow the teachings of Jesus, this would be a much better place. Am I right? But as a religion, as a hope beyond here, those teachings are useless if Jesus was not the Son of God. They're good teachings, wise sayings. But our whole faith, our whole hope, our whole lives are, are vested in the foundation of Jesus being who he says he was. Without that fact that Jesus is the very son of God, the most fundamental beliefs of Christianity cannot stand. We talk about it, and we may have talked before or seen people, you know, who, who, who equate Jesus with some other wise philosophers and teachers in the world. That cannot be. Jesus is either who he says he was or he was a liar. Because he claimed himself to be the son of God. Do you hear the progression in that first verse? In the beginning was the word. Ooh, that's pretty cool. That goes back to, to, to when. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with 
God. Wow. Wasn't just out there in the beginning. Was with God. And the word was God. He goes from amazing, pardon my grammar, from amazing to amazinger to amazingest. Awesomer, awesomest. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. On that day, at that birth, it was God coming into the world, the God of creation, the God who created, coming to be a part of creation. The religious leaders understood this when Jesus made this. To us, we don't, we don't really get it. But the religious leaders of his day did when Jesus said to them, before Abraham was, I am. And they went nuts. Because they understood that Jesus was saying, I'm God. I'm God. And they couldn't handle that. So we learn about the Christ deity. But we also learn about the Christ purpose. John tells us that the word came to bring light to the world. Jesus in just a little while in the book of John will declare, I am the light of the world. He was the light because of what he taught, but he was the light because of who he was. He was to bring a spiritual light to a spiritually dark world, a world lost in sin, a world without a savior. Now, John talks about how that the darkness did did not understand the light and how that his own did not recognize or receive him. The Jews certainly should have recognized him. He was the fulfillment of all the ancient prophecies that God had given to them. I think it's amazing that in the story, the account of the birth of Jesus, that when the Magi come to Jerusalem, And they're basically saying, we saw a star in the east that the king is born. Where is the king to be born? Where is he so that we may go see him? That they had to go hunt and find and try to figure out from the prophecies where Jesus would be born. And then when they were told, they told the Magi, the religious leaders, the teachers of the law, the priests, they tell the the Magi, he's to be born in Bethlehem of Judea. And they just send them off. The very Messiah that they had been longing for, the very Messiah that they had been hoping for, the very Messiah that they had put their hope and their trust and their faith in. These visitors from the east said, we saw a star and he's being born and he's going to be born. And you tell us he's going to be born in Bethlehem. And the priests just go about and the teachers of the law just go about and continue on their business like nothing had ever happened. And then over and over and over again for the next 30 plus years, Jesus fulfills all the prophecies about the Messiah that were to come. Now, granted, some of those prophecies they did not understand to be prophecies about the Messiah. That's why in Matthew's gospel, oftentimes it'll be said, and this was done to fulfill the prophecy. Such and such. Oh, that was a prophecy about the Messiah? Didn't really realize that. 
But there were a lot of other prophecies that they knew very well. And they simply either ignored or refused to believe. And then there is this statement from John. Yet to all who receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. There it is. Jesus' purpose in a nutshell. Through his sacrifice, through his substitution for us, we now have the right to be children of God. That doesn't sound quite right, does it? To us. The right to be children of God. And from our perspective, it just doesn't make sense. Because we don't deserve anything. It's a privilege not deserved. It's a debt we could never pay. It's a dream beyond imagination. It is all by the grace of God, nothing we have done to earn it. And so the idea that we have the right to be called children of God. See, we're all about our rights in this country. We love our rights. You know, we have a constitution, we have a bill of rights, we have all these things, we have our rights. And, and in our country, our rights are, are just things we are owed because we are a citizen of this country. Because I live here, because I am a citizen, this country owes me these rights. They're guaranteed to me in the constitution or in the bill of rights or whatever. And yet we know, we know that we can make no claim, that we have no inherent right to be called children of God. That's from our perspective. But from God's perspective, because of what Jesus has done, because of the price he paid, because of the sacrifice that he made, because of all of that, we do have the right to be called children of God. Isn't that amazing? That we have the right to be called children of God. And it all began in that manger way back in Bethlehem. The third point we get from John's little discussion kind of on the birth of Jesus, hidden in the prologue, is the Christ humanity. If you've paid attention over the last 30 years, and we'll just assume that you have, you probably have figured out that one of my favorite verses in all the Bible is John chapter 1, verse 14, especially the first part of it. And the Word became flesh, and made his dwelling among us. I think that that statement is one of, if not the most, amazing statements in all of the Bible. In that dark, stinky stable, on that noisy, crowded night, God became flesh. And not just his flesh, not, didn't just become flesh, 
but made his dwelling among us. You've heard me talk before that that, that that phrase, made his dwelling among us, can really be translated one word, tabernacled. That's the word, tabernacled. He tabernacled among us. And you're going, what? What does that mean? Tabernacle is a word for tent. If you want to literally translate it, the word became flesh and he pitched his tent among us. He just built him a house right in the middle of the neighborhood. He moved in right next door. He became one of us. The word became flesh. The Greek and Roman gods, you know, they, they lived up on Mount Olympus. And they only descended to earth really for one of two reasons. One was either to punish the humans for something that they thought they were doing wrong. Or two was really to just kind of mess with their lives. You know, just kind of give the humans a hard time. And yet God, the God, came to earth, became flesh, dwelt among us. So that he could provide for us salvation and hope for the future. God didn't just ascend on high. He became flesh, became light or to bring light and life to mankind. Philippians chapter 2 reminds us that he did not come to be as a king. You remember that. We love that little verse, you know, those verses where it says, Have the same attitude in you that was also in Christ Jesus who although he existed in the form of God, did not count equality with God as something to be grasped. In other words, he did not say to the Father, I'm God, I'm not going down there. I'm holding on to my deity. I'm holding on to my Godness. He did not consider it something to be grasped, but emptied himself, made himself nothing, and became the form of a man. Wow. Jesus came to earth as a man. Now, I, hang with me here. If I'm the son of God and I must come to earth, the least that could happen is that I come as a king. I come as a prince. I live in a castle. I live in a mansion. I have servants. I have all the best food and the drink and the entertainment and everything. I have the best. If I have to come to this world, at least let me have the best that this world has to offer. But he didn't just come, Paul tells us in Philippians, to be a man. He came and became a servant. Whoa. Well, we skipped a whole step there, didn't we? I mean, there's king and then there's servant. There's a whole bunch of steps in between Jesus could have become. But he came as a servant. And he didn't just become a servant. He became a servant who died. Whoa. If I have to come to earth, couldn't you just beam me up right before it's over? But then not just die. 
but die the cruelest, most humiliating death ever known to mankind. The death on a cross. And Jesus did that for us. He died the worst of deaths. It was all a part of the plan. In order to be the perfect Lamb of God. And in the next chapter, that's what John says when he sees Jesus. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. In order to be the perfect Lamb, the perfect sacrifice, he had to live a perfect life without sin. And he had to do it by living just as you and I live. He had to have the same weaknesses. He had to have the same temptations. He had to have the same disappointments. He had to have the same struggles. And by doing this, he not only became the perfect sacrifice to fulfill justice of God and thereby giving us the right to be called children of God. He also became the perfect and great high priest who understands us when we struggle, who intermediates between us and the Father because he's been here. He understands. He knows what we are going through. And I've told you before, is this not the most difficult concept to grasp? In all of Christianity, at least it is to me, Jesus Christ being 100% deity, 100% God, and at the same time being 100% man. I don't know how your heads don't explode. 50-50? I get it. I can relate to 50-50. I can relate to 100% one thing and 100% another if they don't conflict. I'm 100% a husband and I'm 100% a father. Right? Well, those things don't conflict. But 100% God and 100% man. That's like trying to put the opposite ends of... of uh, Magnets together, right? It just, it, it just won't work. Maybe it's the same end of magnets together. I don't know. You physics people figure that out. But I know this. With God, all things are possible. And I know the Bible teaches me that he was 100% God. And he was 100% man. He became like his brothers. That's you and me, the writer of Hebrews tells us. Yes, the manger, the angels, the shepherds, the magi are all a part of a great event. It had to have been magical for those who saw what was going on. The problem is there were very few who saw and understood what was going on. But let's not lose sight of the fact that this event was the beginning, was the beginning of the culmination that makes sense? The beginning of the culmination of a plan established by God even before the creation of the world. The cross is important. 
The empty tomb is important. But neither one could have happened without the manger and without the birth. The angel said to the shepherds, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. But that good news and the great joy are only for those who recognize Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God, and receive him through faith and obedience. To those, he has given the right to be called the children of God. If you're here this morning and you have not received him, you have not accepted him, he's waiting to give you the right to be called a child of God. If there's some way we can help or encourage you this morning, we invite you to come now as we stand and as we sing.